And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. That is hammered. Oh, my. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far ought to have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it! You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby, Andy McCullough, and Mark Carrig on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to The Roundtable, the only podcast where one of the hosts looks longingly at a stack of poker chips while the rest of us talk about baseball. I'm Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy McCullough, Mark Craig. Andy, how you doing? How are those poker chips looking? They're getting a little grimy. I just have to, I have to switch them out, you know, like once a week. I have like a stack that I go in and then switch them out to the other, to the new fresh ones. So I just switched out a pair, but then the ones I brought back into circulation are, you know, not as smooth as I would like. So that's where I'm at. Do you write articles with like one hand while you're doing poker chips with the other? I have the chips here and I'll sort of be like working, you know, I'll be like shuffling the chips. You can hear them now. I'm do Brian, I'm not going to do this for the whole episode, I promise. Uh, but I do that and then like I'll stop and then I'll write and then go back to, you know, doing it. Yeah. Mark, do you have any rituals like that? What's up, Mark? No, I want to circle back to something. Andy, do you still draw cubes? <laughs> you, you talk about this all the time. Um <laughs> Not as much as I used Brisbee's to. like, what? Not as much as I, I'm trying to see. No, I have a new, let me, let me, um, uh, if I can find an old note. So while here. he looks, Grant, let, yeah. let me give you some context. Let's see here. if I can let's, find let's some. Let's dial it back to the summer of 2009. Yeah, just a, just a little, just a beat writer for the right Star there. Ledger. There you go. Very good. <laughs> Those were shitty and, cubes. And, and Andy McCullough. <laughs> no, so Andy's a summer intern. And so... The way it works in the press box is the intern sits next to the beat writer. So I'm sitting there. Um, I don't know. He's probably five games into his summer stint. And I look over and his entire notebook is covered in cubes, <laughs> bad cubes. And I'm like, is that a thing, bro? And and he's like, oh, I just, I just I do cubes sometimes. And then like, you know. For years and years and years, continued to do this. So that's why I asked. Like, I was curious. And it looks like it's lesser because it used to be Grant that the entire notebook page would be covered in cubes. Like, that would be the notes. Like, hey, what are the Yankees doing? Oh, it's just 58 cubes. <laughs> the the best part is that they're shitty cubes. <laughs> That's what makes me laugh. It's not as if you've, uh, like, uh, evolved into some master cubist. I was an intern uh, to the summer of 2009, the Star Ledger. The other intern was Matt Gelb, our wonderful Phillies writer, and uh, Steve wow. Politti, the esteemed columnist, uh, nicknamed us Mopey and Giggly. 
guess which one I was. Yeah. It'd be like, Mopey oh, we're sending out an intern to the, you know, sending out an intern to the Subway Series. Oh, you get Mopey and Giggly. Great. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 40 years from stable. now, we'll be writing one of those. Uh, Peter Gammons tweeted this last week about how 55 years ago on the same day, he and uh, Bob Ryan walked into the Boston Globe to intern together and then they took off on these wonderful careers. I don't foresee Gelberai ever sending tweets like that. I, well, I, I think you can get more giggly if you put your mind to it, Andy. Plenty <laughs> giggly. Huh? I've probably All become right, we're, more giggly and he's become more mopey. So, yeah, everything evens out. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, let's talk about uh, baseball for uh, a change. Um, what's going on in baseball? I haven't really been following it. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> Today is uh, the reverse boycott. And we are, I've got my bell out because we're going to talk about the A's. A's gets a bell now. We just love the A's. They're on a hot streak. Man, they're coming for you. Uh, I haven't looked up their magic number in a while, but it's going down <laughs> every day. It goes down and down and down. Uh, but there's a reverse boycott at the Oakland Coliseum tonight. I will be there. And uh, I just, I'm going to see people scream at an owner who won't be there. And I think that's beautiful. Thoughts? So here's what I'm wondering about with the A's in general. Do you think it is better, and this is kind of a wide-ranging question, do you think it is better for the long-term health of the organization for them to remain a spectacle of terrible baseball or for them to revert to a sort of general incompetence that is easier on the eyes? I like the spectacle, but I'm biased just because I enjoy a good spectacle. Yeah. I guess what I wonder, because like, so they win a bunch of games in a row, right? And like, that's and the whole time we've talked about this. I feel like every time the A's come up, I keep saying like, at some point they're going to regress to a 60 win pace, you know, like at some point they're just going to go, they're just going to be bad. And so maybe this is part of that regression, but if they regress to a 60 win pace and they're just another bad team, which like, by the way, the Royals have only won 18 games as well, right? They both won 18 games. So if they regress to being just another bad team, not even the worst team, that probably gets them a little bit less attention. It probably makes something like, you know, a reverse boycott while I, it, it, there's just less national interest. And I wonder if that's a better thing for whatever this ownership group is trying to accomplish. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like that. I, I totally see your point. I think just a complete debacle that is, uh, it, it makes Rob Manfred go, come on, come on. When we look at their baseball reference page and we see like the walk rates and holy smokes, that guy's got a nine and that guy's got an 80 RA and that guy, you know, it's like there is a, there's a human being on the other side of that. And sometimes you're like, holy smokes, this is the worst team ever. And then you're like, man, that must be just miserable for these young men. Right. And so like part of you wants to just like, I would like them to just be bad rather than the worst team ever. So they could just, they're not like suffering as much, I guess. But then if they're suffering less, that's probably better. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. They're, they're human beings They're When I was doing my podcast uh, a couple years ago with Hunter Pence, I would forget this and he would uh, gently correct me because, you know, I would be like, oh, this guy stinks and this guy, wow, and this guy. <laughs> and he'd be like, eh human beings and I yes yes correct correct but I would still apologies to those human beings but I think you're absolutely right where a complete debacle would be better for the overall long-term health of the Oakland athletics mm -hmm. um, right right I, I think that's a good that's a good take 
Yeah, that's a very specific. What a fun backfire that was, (laughs) right? Like John Fisher, like this was the plan all along. And now it's going to blow up in his face, right? Because they are so bad or have been so bad that it got everybody's attention that the Oakland A's have become America's team somehow. (laughs) Because when you think about it, there are a lot of compelling elements to this story. And I think there's a lot of human elements to this story. First one being, as you guys mentioned, the actual humans at the center of this story. The dudes who are out there trying to win games and God help them until this week, having a real tough go of it. I think that reverse boycott tonight began as a simple protest. And then they announced the move to Vegas or that that was their intent. And what's going to happen tonight is that it's going to be a going away party. It is going to be awake. That is how my brother is approaching it. A lifelong fan of this team who is horribly sad about what is going on. And he's making a point to go because this is the last time he's going to walk into that ballpark. That's what he's resolved. I suspect there's a lot of people in that boat tonight. They are saying goodbye to something very, very important to their lives. How can you not be drawn to that? How can you not think that this is compelling? And that sounds awful and like almost like, uh, you know, like a cheap sort of stereotypical kind of like storyline or whatever. But this is a reminder that these teams, as much as they are businesses and run like businesses and, and all that stuff, I don't know, professional sports franchises are obviously more than that. And I think we're going to see that tonight. I think you're going to see a, a mixture of anger and rage and it's all going to come out people need to show up and like let it out you're also going to see a lot of sadness because i do suspect that for a lot of people this is the last time they're going to go enjoy this that they're going to let themselves go enjoy this for a variety of different reasons so i think the spectacle has been positive in a really weird kind of backward way but also i think tonight's a reminder like this is not an abstract consequence and I think that's sort of what they're after today by organizing this event, that there that there's um, an actual human effect, not just to the guys on the field, but to the folks who are going to be in the stands tonight. It's, I mean, I wish I were there, honestly. I, I wish I could see it. Most of the time, if you look at the history of the sport, when teams leave, they don't get this. They don't get the send-off, right? Like the last Boston Braves game had 3,000 people in the stands. The last... Brooklyn Dodgers game was very similar, right? Like, and, and the last Oakland A's game will be similar. Because this event was organized before the announcement, it's almost like the timing works out where at least they're going to get a send-off if indeed this is it. Um, so it's bittersweet. I think it's cool for the community to sort of stand up one more time. I think it's cool for people who, you know, despite all the jokes we make about that dump, it is a dump. Um, it's a lot of special memories for a lot of people there, myself included. It's hard to talk about, actually. Um, you know, I think a lot about the friends I made out there and spending time with my family there. You know, my sister was a huge fan of the team. You know, she's no longer with us. You know, she's with today's jersey, honest to God. Okay. So I didn't think there's going to be a lot of people out there tonight feeling those same things. And... I think it's a good thing in a weird way. So sort of to Andy's larger point, maybe the spectacle has been a healthy thing because it's given people 
a chance to express what they're feeling and then knowing that it's being heard. I don't mean to use the Royals as like the uh, like the stalking horse or whatever, right? But like you don't read columns that are saying things like, don't you think, you know, should Commissioner Rob Manford do something about what the Royals are doing, right? Like they're kind of struggling in good faith almost, I guess, you know? Right. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and so like if it because it's so obvious what the A's are doing, it points to all of the problems with tanking, with the amount of control the owners have, you know, with the sort of generalized problems of, you know, uh, a, a monopoly over the sport. And so it does continue to have attention on it. And, you know, Mark, what you said was just that was really I'm moving to think about, you know, and and um, I am glad that the folks in the Bay Area will be able to enjoy tonight or get whatever catharsis they're looking for out of it. It just it's just obvious what a hole in the community it's going to create. Have you ever heard like a British soccer fan talk about how teams in America move from city to city? Have you ever like read? What would he sound like, they, Grant? Uh, <clears throat> well, here's the thing about <laughs> here's the thing about when teams move. Well, by golly, no, it's, it's like they they just can't uh, they can't wrap their head around it. <laughs> You got You're doing bochi again. You got you hit the bochi yeah. button by accident. I knew that was going to happen. But if you've got like if you're a fan of North Shropshireton, like and you you grow up with them, and that is it's not just a team. I mean, like I'm not saying we need baseball hooligans. I'm not saying we need baseball riots. Uh, a couple riots wouldn't hurt, like a little disco demolition or, or ten cent beer night wouldn't hurt. But you know that is the thing in. I get it, and you have it's different in in America, and it's more business or whatever, but they just can't wrap their mind around it, and I can't either, because if I'm a billionaire, why do I, like, how do you not just love, why don't you want to be Johnny About Town and going around and saying, like, I'm the owner of the A's, yeah, here's a quarter, buy yourself a licorice whip, and, like... You could just be a civic hero, but instead it's always chasing more and, you know. Mark wrote a column about this a few years ago and I, and I don't, it was one of, uh, one of many great Mark columns that I probably disagreed with someone, but also made me think about a lot where you're talking about the idea of the owner is the sportsman and, you know, this idea that they were that Johnny about town. And those guys were also like crass capitalists or whatever, you know, like who crushed the labor force that they were dealing with. Thank you, Brian. But there was at least the idea that they wanted to win, that they wanted to have a product that they gave back to their community. There was a, there was more of a tethering between how the team performed and whether you made money. And that has sort of become decoupled, uh, you know, over the years as, you know, different revenue streams have come in. And so there's just like it's an investment vehicle. And even teams that are run really well, like even teams that succeed, their owners often view it as just an investment vehicle. It's when that sort of detached mindset turns the on-field product into a significant problem when that mindset, you know, really gets under scrutiny. You know what I mean? I get it when you, it's uh, Guggenheim Partners, right? I get it when you, it's a situation like the Giants where they have uh, dozens of owners with, or, you know, partial owners. But when you are John Fisher and you have inherited your money and you are just going through life, uh, I don't know, a little bit of a fail son. And why don't you just want to 
Like, why isn't this more important to you? Why? What do you have going for you other than your billions? Grant, have you watched the TV show Succession? Uh, I have. I have. Right. Imagine, uh, I think you should leave, but with jokes. <laughs> Yeah, I get what you're saying. I get what you're I'm saying. Awake I mean, now. Yeah, he's yeah, fired you up. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I get what you're saying. I don't disagree, you know, but that's not that's just not billionaires aren't like us. Billionaires don't think like us. They just don't. They're they live different lives. Over and over again it's proven that just whatever, you get that much money, your brain just uh, switch flips. I get it, but I also don't get it because if you give me a baseball team, I'm just like, man, I'm doing cool things. I mean, I think I've keep saying it, Patreon or GoFundMe, let me buy the Oakland A's. <laughs> I'll be Bill Bill Vec like time six. You know what's funny about the Oakland A's? And and I think about this because there are clubs who have been bought by people that have at least some kind of tie to that team, right? The Oakland A's haven't been ever owned by someone who was a fan of the Oakland A's. Ever. Not even Wally Haas. I was going like, to ask. Wally Haas is a San Francisco guy. That's San Francisco money, right? Like, now he had some East Bay footprints. I think went to Cal. And like, you see his name all over buildings there and whatever. But as I recall it, and I've read, that they bought the club because they were thinking of the Bay Area as a whole that it would be bad to lose them for the whole area, for the region, right? And so Fisher is a San Francisco guy. The developers before that were mostly like, you know, I think they were more East Bay, but like, as I recall, again, like more giant fans than anything else before they bought the club. And Charlie Finley never even lived in the East Bay. Ran the team from Chicago, brought him from Kansas City, but like was always remote. And, and so... One storyline I see repeated a lot without any critical thought is, gee, clearly they don't have a fan base. They didn't even get a million fans for the time they won the World Series three straight years. Yeah, it's because they were owned by someone who didn't ever devote any time to the community. He was a remote owner from Chicago who was at war with the fans constantly. And the way he expressed that disdain for some of them was to make the stadium experience terrible. He made it difficult to buy tickets. He didn't have any, you know, interest in uh, courting the media, whether it be like through TV, radio, or newspapers, which mattered at the time, because guess what? It seemed like for as long as he had the team in Oakland, he was looking to move them out. So, you know, these things matter. These things add up. So this is not a phenomenon over 20 years, actually. This is a phenomenon that has existed for a lot longer than that. The number one thing that just makes, that blows my mind about Charles Finley is that did you know that he was married to Tawny Katane, the woman dancing in the Come White on. Snake video? What? No, I'm just kidding. That's Chuck <laughs> Finley. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just God. <laughs> little little inside him. baseball. Little Dang, inside oh, got him. Grant. Got him. Oh man, that was damn it, Grant says Brian. Damn it, Grant. Grant. Anyways, I the idea that you can win three World Series in a row with people actively hating the team and not coming out is endlessly fascinating to me so i cannot wait is that a full chapter in your book is that like the first half of your book when is this coming out i want to read it let's settle on a proposal wow now i do think like now like the point mark the point you're making about the lack of local ownership like you just need local investment like you need you need to commit to the community and even like so for example like the rays aren't owned by a tampa bay guy you know Stu Sternberg is a, is from New York 
right? But the Rays are really mm-hmm. well run. Now, obviously, they have stadium issues of their own and things like that that they're working through. But the baseball has not been affected. The, you know, Mark Walters, a Chicago guy. When I was covering the team, when I was the beat writer, you know, at the times, like Mark Walter was there during the playoffs and he was there when the Cubs were in town. And that was about the only time you'd see him on the field. But they're well run, right? They And they're well financed and they maintain, they do things to maintain their connection to the community. There's multiple ways to, you know, to, to skin a cat, but it's the combination of like disdain for the market and just the, the lack of investment. The team that was at the forefront of the analytics revolution was the Yankees. The team that had a book written about them <laughs> was the A's. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> come on. Come on, man. There are people freaking out right now, but go on. Come on. You know it's true. But what, what I'm saying is like they were very much ahead of the curve on so many things, right, uh, as Moneyball made very clear. But they haven't spent the money to maintain that. They've fallen behind in those categories because they don't pay the money to, to keep up with the Dodgers, with the Yankees, with the Rays, you know, with the teams that are just have, you know, entire office buildings full of quants, you know, running data. And when you're saying spend, it, like people, there might be some people listening and going like the Rays, you know, the Rays, what's the Rays payroll? You're talking specifically on the what's underneath Off-field the stuff. Yeah, the Rays, yeah, the Rays have a huge scouting department. You know, they have a really big scouting department. They have a big analytics department. You know, they spend on they, they the one thing that, you know, there's obviously ways that the Rays, um, you know, because we are, again, the only pro labor podcast. There's things they do in ARB and there's things they do with the way they use guys that cost them some money. There's there's no question about that. That's well documented. But the people who work in their baseball operations department, scouts, you know, a lot of them really feel like they're treated well and compensated well and their opinions are valued uh, is what is what you know i would say after having you know written about the club and talked to people around the club for quite some time so like you're you're capable of doing both right like teams contain multitudes uh but that's one thing that they have figured out that this is where we want to spend money right your your dollar stretches further maybe sometimes off the field than on the field uh and the a's are a team that's not stretching a dollar on either one correct and that's a big deal and in fact and I think I've said it on this podcast or I've, I've you know, shared it somewhere. But, you know, not too long ago, I was talking to uh, an executive, you know, a rival executive of American League. Right. And this was a topic of conversation. And Andy, he was basically just going chapter and verse in ways in, in which the A's have failed to spend in these areas, ways in which they have fallen away behind. Right. Because we've seen right, like this. I think the term analytics is very blanket. But what we've seen is an evolution from doing things like looking at inefficiency through statistics to things like measuring, like like getting more physics centered, right? Where you're like looking for these rather than like pure data, but like in what you're able to capture and measure, okay? That costs money. It costs money not only in the equipment and the technology and keeping up, it also costs money that you need human beings that can interpret that and turn it into something usable. And it sounds like, again, from just based on this conversation, that the athletics have just fallen behind in that so severely that you're starting to see some of the ramifications of that in the on-field product, okay? Um, especially when you're a club like them where, right, just like the Rays, transactions were a big deal. 
you got to win those transactions. And all of a sudden, they haven't been, and it hurts. So, you know, you made another point earlier about community, using the word community. You know that the Oakland A's were the pioneers in the community relations department in Major League mm, Baseball? No, they were the first. I didn't. I've never read that book. Under, under Wally Haas, yeah. First time. First, it was like, stop. I see that look on your face. Who? No, no. And Andy just got like that, like, uh, no, I've never heard that. That smart alecky. Uh, he's doing it right now. Look at it. He's doing it right no, now. No, I just anyway. assume I'd love to just read that on a page. In a, oh, in shut a up. That's what this was a setup for? All right. Well, first one. First one in baseball. Teams contain multitudes. The Oakland Athletics have treated their fans like crap for a long time. And there was also a time where they treated them great. And, the, and that's, you know, during the Wally Haas era, that's what happened. I was reading a book, Steve Schott wrote a book. Steve Schott's one of the developers that bought the team um, off of Wally Haas. And there's a, a bit in there that was eye-opening. So they, they buy the team, right? And now they are, they've gathered the department heads together. And they're like, okay, what were you guys' budgets last year? With the intent of setting the new budgets based on what they'd had to work with before. And do you know what the answer was? We don't really do budgets around here. <laughs> <laughs> right so like that to go from that right we're under the Haas family to you know what has really been sort of the the you know modus operandi ever since through various ownership groups has been stunning right and so um, you know it takes money to build a community relations department it takes money to build uh analytics 2.0 department and they have failed over and over and again to do so We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I think there's also a sense of maybe 10 years ago, it would have been possible to have Jonah Hill and Brad Pitt, you know, throwing the ball back around in the office going, who should we get? Ricardo Rincon? Like, <laughs> hmm. Like, you know, like this, this idea that you can have these Mavericks come in and do smart baseball moves through their sheer baseball genius. Man, it ain't like that anymore. You have to have a stable of quants who are looking at Every pitcher's seam shifted wake and and how can we weaponize this one pitch? This pitcher does this well, but not this well. How can we weaponize this? How can we minimize this? It's you got to do that for every player in baseball and like organized baseball, give or take. On some level, you have to be aware of all these different players and you can't just come in and be like, you know, got to tell you, like Jeremy Giambi, we got to get this guy out of here. He plays, his, you know, like it's not like that anymore. And the I don't know if the A's don't realize that. I'm sure they do. Uh, they just don't care. And they don't care more aggressively than almost any other team or than any other team. You got to understand, Grant, like if you have Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill on the one side of the phone, you know, they're throwing the ball around, figuring it out. In the other front office, you know, the team they're calling, they got John Hamm and Zach Galifianakis, and they're throwing the ball around too, okay? And they're younger, they're hungrier, and they're using better data. Younger and hungrier. Hang on, I'm writing that down for uh, chapter uh, five. It is it is wild that Paul DiPodesto was just like, no, I'm not letting that man play me. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Amazing. It's sort of, it's just kind of like, it just, you know, it's, it's, it's in the slipstream of time, I guess. It's, it's forgotten. Poor Art Howe. God, he wore it as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, he's apparently a very nice man. Anyway. <laughs> Whatever. Nicest guy ever. People, you know what? People love that he, movie. He, he had managed the Mets. What's that? Have you heard this all-time line from Art Howe when he was managing the Mets? Probably not. So they hire him, okay? And of course, like, very controversial hire. He's getting crushed, right? New York media is just... That's this is you know what 25 years ago, whatever back in the day, are hammering him right, just like left and right. Press conference gets done, he stands up, he goes, Hey, thanks for the roast, fellas. Walks <laughs> off. I like that, I like that. So, I didn't know him, so he's not uh Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, <laughs> no. red no. and blustery. You know what? It's funny, like baseball people get like still bent out of shape when they think about that characterization. Wow. They get pissed. Wow. Yeah, like they, they did him dirty. What about the actors uh, that played Tim Hudson and Barry Zito and Mark Mulder in that movie? What about them? Crazy performance. Wasn't Royce they're, Clayton an actor in that movie? The oh, joke. they're not in the movie. Yeah, yeah. No, but didn't Royce Clayton like play? Hold on. The guy who played Dave Justice played a little pro ball somewhere. If you remember the movie, there's a scene where he's in the cage hitting. And when you see that swing, you're like, dude, that's a professional swing. Like, that guy played somewhere. All right? Like, it would look too good for it to just be some actor who learned how to play baseball for the part. Stephen Bishop. I don't know why I thought it was Royce Clayton. Well, now that you've mentioned Royce Clayton, um, I need to go on record with a growing up for two years, Darren Lewis lived on the corner of my street. 
Um, he rented a house uh, down the street. Darren Lewis, former center fielder center for the fielder. Giants. Uh, and when Royce Clayton would come over. Royce Clayton played Tejada. Okay, thank you. Sorry, sorry, sorry. This is like the best anecdote I have. This is all I got. <laughs> this is my life Dude, has been leading to this. It. Shut you up! Just, just start it over. Right, whatever, Brian. Cut no, this no, out. no. I'm, I'm te- no, no, no. Don't cut it out. This is the how the sausage is made. No, when Royce Clayton would come over to visit his very good friend Darren Lewis, he, I would know, and the whole neighborhood would know because his car's license plate was "It's Me, RC." That's amazing. Stuck in my head yeah, yeah. all this players. time. Ball players Stop. used to be awesome. Yeah. Ball players used to be. Yeah, so cool. they really did. Did you see the Derek Bell video? It kept popping up on social media recently. No. Like he's playing for the Blue Jays. Operation it's Shutdown? Last, it was, no, no, no. Well, yeah, I guess. Was it? Was that Bell? Oh, that anyway. was Derek Bell, yeah. So, okay. So Derek Bell, I think he's a, like, he must have been early in his career. He's in Toronto, playing for Toronto. It's the last game of the season. And I think of this because of his car. He's got this like, you know, tricked out SUV when SUVs were first the thing. Right. Like it's custom colored, like green, like it's nice. Right. Like rims, the whole bit. They drive it out to the field before first pitch. And the announcer goes, we are auctioning off Derek Bell's car, <laughs> like the thing that he loves. Now, no one's told Derek Bell this. And so the camera pans to the dugout. I think Joe Carter's in the background dying because he like organized this. And Derek Bell has this look on his face like he's totally hook, line, and sinker. They start reading off a ticket number, you know, like, you know, and Bell's just like, you know, right? Like, anyway, I, I just thought it because, like, again, ball players in their cars, right? Like, I don't know why that popped in. No, I, I think we should have more uh, baseball player and cars content. Uh, Yana Cespedes is, oh, is not boy. with us, not with the league, I mean, he's with, but like he's not in the league anymore. And Are you breaking news? <laughs> yeah, <geez. laughs> Should the news team be alerted to this? I just think he's uh, playing somewhere with his cars. Is he still in? He's not in professional baseball anywhere, is he? He could be playing somewhere weird. I thought he played in the not WBC, weird. didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Yanis. But yeah, like we need more of his car content. I'm, I'm going to look because he might be. Boy, that gives me horrible flashbacks because I was on the beat for all that. And God, was that tired after a couple of days. My goodness. <laughs> uh, anyway. I would love to read. He's probably on his ranch near Port St. Lucie right now. Not only was he uh, uh, playing Dominican Winter League this year, he was teammates with Melky Cabrera. Wow. Yeah. Really? Melky Cabrera. That is I covered awesome. both those guys. Wild. Yeah. And uh, Juan Perez? Is that, am I, am I clicking through and finding, yeah, Giants legend Juan Perez. Wow. I would have... I should have done a feature on them. I have a Melky Cabrera anecdote. Of course he does. First spring training, it's like 7 a.m., report time's like 8.15, and because like I'm eager, I'm going to get to the ballpark early, so I um, get dressed, you know, have a cup of coffee, pop down to the car about 7.15 to make the 10-minute trip to the ballpark, and as I'm pulling out, Melky Cabrera's pulling in, fully dressed, from a night out. So... <laughs> <laughs> Just like courtesy nod, moved right along, you know, 45 minutes later, there he is in uniform on time. Just like, man, wow, what a life, what a life. Hey, uh, before we get to the uh, the last segment of the show, I just have the roundtable head of the week uh, real quick. Oh, yeah. Uh, as all, Please. Yeah, I'll just handle this, Grant, because you forget it every week. It's, I don't uh, care about our listeners, Andy. <laughs> it's true. This I is don't from, care about the community. 
This is from uh, Darren Domaraki, uh, at Darren Dom underscore on Twitter. He said, uh, there are a few Rays roundtable heads out there, maybe even dozens. Peep the t- Rays TV ratings. People do care. Uh, valid incubator point. The goal is to win games. Keep up the good work. And he includes a Arrested Development gif of uh, uh, David Cross. There are dozens the, of yeah, us. There are dozens of us. So thank you, Darren. Uh, please rate and review us on iTunes. I looked recently. The people are the people are showing out for the roundtable. They love it. The roundtable heads, they love it. This gives me a point. Like I, I wanted to add an anecdote about the race spending real quick. When I was at the winter meetings, uh, I had the chance to drink in the race suite and and take their liquor uh, when none of the important people were there. And uh, Woodford Reserve, they were spending good, you know, decent amount of money on Woodford Reserve for their. Uh, uh, employees. I think that's a, a sign of what, you know, what are the A's doing there? Evan Williams? Grant stole liquor. <laughs> nice. Nice guy on. Grant stole liquor, it says. Very good. Well, I mean, I was with someone who's given it. Anyways, all right. I, I thought that was a funnier anecdote than apparently it was. Let's move on to actual baseball content. Uh, What's going on baseball? I'm uh. Hey, Brandon Crawford <laughs> can freaking wing it. Uh, he had a good curveball and a good changeup. That was funny okay, as heck. So ra- randomly, right? Like, remember when Ichiro threw, like a couple years, not not a couple years. That's been a lot of years. But like, I don't know why it came up. I was like, wait a minute. I haven't either. I can't remember what that was. Like, or I have never seen it somehow. So I Google it, and it's Ichiro. It looks great. Like he's throwing like high eighties or whatever. And then like it must have been a day later, and then Crawford takes the mound, and I'm just like, man. This guy looks like he's got an actual delivery. He has a clue of where it's going. Oh, crap. He just snapped something off. You know, (laughs) like, I don't know. Like, I know that like we've had this discussion about whether position players pitching has become tired. And I actually think by and large, it sort of has. But every now and again, you get somebody like Brandon Crawford who who takes a crack at it. And you're just like, whoa. Maybe he should be in their bullpen, you know. Like I mean, it was it was I mean, to his credit, man. And then like my favorite part, I give him mad credit for this is afterward. So I guess he had that like uh, you know the, the, his presser, and he's just like, ain't that hard, right? <laughs> <laughs> What's the big deal? <laughs> like it's awesome. He's I guess he's been wearing pictures out for years. But come on, it's not that hard. Then he goes out. And it's like it looks like I've proven my point. I'm just like yeah. I also enjoyed how much it irritated Brandon Belt, former Texas schoolboy pitcher uh, who thought he might be get drafted in 06. Uh, he was he was none too pleased to get beaten to the mound by the other Brandon. To this day, with a straight face, Brandon Belt will, t- will look you in the eye and say, I, I was a better pitcher than Clayton Kershaw, <laughs> and I could have been better than Clayton Kershaw. Because they were high school in Texas at the same time, and it was kind of a little, little rivalry. Andy, were you aware of that? Yes, I yes I was. Yes, I, I was. Oh, okay. I was Just aware. That'd be that. a little was, tidbit. Yeah, Cro- or, uh, Belt. Um, <clears throat> he was not considered. I want to say, I'd have to go back and look, but in the Baseball America Top 100 of the best high school players going into 06, Kershaw was like 32 at the start of the year, and Belt was like 34. Um, but there were scouts who preferred belt and he was obviously you know had a real good chance and then he got he hurt his shoulder and ended up I, I don't know what became of him subsequently but uh, he washed out as a pitcher <laughs> I, I will say that uh, position players pitching and I was all on board I would do all these rankings and uh, back in the early blog days I would be this this is the team that's gone the longest without a position player pitching and it was the angels for a long time they hadn't had a position player pitching which is funny now 
like now it, it is a hundred percent tired, but <laughs> I think I think that Crawford <laughs> reminds us that there should be a carve out, and that carve out is this guy better throw a changeup or a curveball or a knuckleball. I don't want to see Lobby Joe out there, you know, just throwing the EFIS pitch over and over again. Uh, I want to see someone who's trying, who's waited his whole life, and who will give good postgame quotes afterwards. 100%. Dude, that's that's spot on. Thank you. Couldn't have said it better. I mean, Brandon Phillips put on the, you know, kind of the peak performance the first time he did it several years ago when he, like, sprints into the mound. He throws, like, 92 with the first pitch, and then he starts throwing EFISes. Like, from comedy's perspective, right, that's as good as it gets. The problem is he's, he did that like several times afterwards, you know, so it's kind of like an I think you should leave sketch. It's just the same joke like over and over again. And, you know, I don't get why people keep laughing at it. I just uh, no because <laughs> Brett Phillips, Brett Phillips, he it doesn't do it with the layers and nuance. And he it's not making you think once you peel it back like an onion. You keep saying that I think you should leave is one note. Man, it's layered. It's just it's it's, it's got a heart. It's got a <clears throat> anyways. By the this, way, you I said might, Brandon Phillips. It was Brett I said, Phillips. I said Brandon Phillips. Idiot. Uh, yeah. I think I might pivot to just this becoming a thing I do now. I don't I, I, I wanna like the show. I really do. Like it's my it's my fault. It's my fault that it's not funny. Um I wanna like the show. Andy and producer Brian are having a little bit of a tiff right now, just for the folks. The roundtable heads are just, what the hell is this? Just so you know, I want to like the show. Producer Brian like are having a little slap fight here on our podcast, but go now, on. Now, Grant's in on it too, buddy. You missed you miss Grant. You know, he's the one who brought it up. Oh, he asked me if oh. I was watching the new season. Oh, okay. I have no idea. I don't watch TV anymore. I'm working through season two of The Wire. Uh, that's a good one. That's Never good. heard of it. What's, what show is this? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You guys, just so you know, Rob, the roundtable heads ought to know this. The reason... The Wire, the wire is what Bruce Springsteen is to the freaking press box. <laughs> and my God, is it tired. That's pretty but good. But go on. You're out on, on The Wire? I've never seen an episode, like, and I'm like inherently going to be out on it for as many times as some freaking baseball writer has told me to watch it. Every single time I hear a ball writer say, you should check out The Wire, I just want to tell them kindly, go F yourself. <laughs> I mean, that's okay. I uh, I think season four is uh, one of the most poignant pieces of American entertainment uh, ever created. I think you should watch it. It, it go really, after yourself. It goes to cuts to the the core of the vicious cycle of poverty. I can't recommend it enough, Mark. For a long <sighs> time, the way I ranked the seasons was two, one, three, four, five, um, and I think I might. I don't know. As I get older, I probably will have more affinity for four. I love two. Two is uh, it's it's so funny. Like it's the funniest season. I feel like we're the pro labor podcast. We are pro labor. I mean, it's about the unions. You know, it's it's about right. basically like us. You know, like we basically are the stevedores <laughs> of the sports world. <laughs> I don't know. I think Mark. I think you would like it if you just watched it without the context of all the annoying people who've told you to watch it. But also, if you don't like it, it's okay. Not everyone has to love everything. Look, I'm sure this show is wonderful. But it's become a principal thing sure, at this point. Sure, sure. All right? Like, I just, I can't hear constantly about this thing that is so great. I'm like, I, it's just like, Jesus, like, enough. Uncle, uncle. I haven't actually watched it in, uh, gosh, maybe a decade. Uh, so I don't know, it, Andy, you can tell. Does it hold up? Like, is it, does it show signs of age? 
it does show some signs of age and it shows some signs of kind of it's it's a little overwritten and but like it was it's a weird show in that it was like completely unheralded then incredibly heralded and then it kind of hit with some backlash from people who are like well no i got this this and this wrong um it's not a perfect show by any means i rewatched it during the pandemic and really enjoyed it i'm like rewatching it again slowly over the past year and still really enjoying it um but i don't I don't look at it from a like aesthetic or I, I don't know. I just enjoy hanging out with those characters again. I really love the performances and, you know, getting, you know, spending time with them. So I don't know if I'm the right audience to like, I guess, how do I put this? Like I watched like the first season of Entourage when I was like 18. Right. And I was like, oh, man, Vinny, you know. And then if you watch it when you're like 22, you're like man, this is ridiculous. And then if you watch an episode when you're 32, you're like jail. They should all be in jail. And actually like the people who made the show should be in jail. So I don't have that experience with it, if that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Got it. Got it. Yeah. I think I will go back and rewatch it. Uh, Mark is just loving this bit, what the round table has. Uh, Mark, all right. So let, let's throw you a bone. If you could rewatch one show, like if you could carve out time, you, you lock uh you turn off Slack, you lock the kids out of the room. What show would you rewatch if you had that free time? I'd have to think about that. Son like of a... The show I that you, I would rewatch. I threw you a bone, man. I know. But, like, I, I watch shows so sporadically now um, that it's difficult. But, like, you know, so, like, well, what was the last show I even completed? We're in the final season of uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel right now like it a lot that was fun um didn't you watch this is us or one of those shows yeah this is us yeah we were about that yeah a lot of tears um you know what (laughs) what'd you say what flicker of disgust across grant's face it was awesome well here's why it was not directed towards mark or the show it's that uh, yet another show i haven't watched like i that's right no, 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 no. Here we go. This is the same crowd that I'm playing to right now. With Mitzi, where I, at the freaking GM meetings like five years ago, we get in the car. It's Andy and Pedro Mora, our buddy Pedro Mora in the backseat of the car. And I turn the car on and a top 40 music station comes on. And you should have seen the look on these two's faces. I think that's what you just gave me right no! there. No! You're just like hipster disgust. You know what? Shove it. Okay? <laughs> Mark no, it was, it was... It was a reminder, like, <laughs> I want to watch that show. And it's a reminder, like, oh, I did more TV that I need to put on my plate. I guess uh, if I could rewatch a show, uh, carve out some time, it'd be I Think You Should Leave, season three. <laughs> um, I've only seen it, like, eight or nine times. No, but ser- my serious answer would be The Leftovers. I think The Leftovers had the oh, perfect arc, got better every season, and it's only three seasons, so it's doable. Had the best ending of any TV show in my estimation in history, uh, so it would be the leftovers for me. I'm trying to think of the most offensive answer I could give to you guys, and my answer is Full House, season one. Yeah, but I wouldn't believe that. Like, you'd have to go... I would. You'd have to go, like, mad about you or something. <laughs> I would. Mad about you, yeah. Oh, man. Watch oh, it. man, that's brutal. That's, even, that's a bit much for me. Oh, I don't know. Big Bang Theory. That's, Ooh, like, yeah. that's, like, right on that nexus of, like, some people yeah. unironically love easy. it. Two and a half Easy. Men. Mrs. Carrig's a big fan of... of yeah, uh, no, it's, it's, like, on big that Bang edge. Theory. I will say that Big Bang Theory, I know it because it 
it's what comes on on TBS after like all the post game stuff. So I'll be writing about a postseason baseball game, and I'll just be going away, and I'll, you know it'll be genius words coming out because it's me um, writing. And then all of a sudden, the Big Bang Theory is on, and I don't realize it for like fifteen minutes, and then I'll like twitch and go wah, and then I'll turn like. And so that stuff absorbs in my brain, and then my work of genius about postseason baseball is corrupted. Corrupted. Well, it was a fun episode. Please rate and review. <laughs> that was great. Uh, Big gulps, huh? We'll talk about free right, agents well, next week. Whatever. The free agent pitchers will still be bad next week. We can we can get into it. Still, still free agent pitchers still dead. You can't we fix just, a seven uh, ERA in a day, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Nor can you fix a defective UCL in a day, baby. Jesus Christ. Too soon? Too soon? Kind of. Yeah, that was kind of crass. Too soon. You know, even for you. My bad, guys. All right, this has been episode 53 of The Roundtable. We'll be back next week to talk about baseball, because that's what we do. We'll see you then. Boop-hoo! Got him. Got him.